It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Roaring. Each and every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic or two. We got a little gambling to talk about on this one. We normally talk a little gambling in a gambling segment. And, of course, a portion of the podcast I love where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the Twitterverse. Hit up hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. Rick compiles them. You ask them. I answer them to the best of my ability. And no, of course, it does not have to be a sports question. It can be literally any topic. Rick, we are uh, a couple days away from the Final Four. We're a day away from uh, Reds opening day. We're still in the throes of Bengals and free agency. So we got a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, we've been trying to get to that point where we're excited about opening day. And I got to be honest with you, Skinny. We had a 70 degree day this week, got outside a little bit. I'm starting to I'm starting to feel the itch. I'm ready for some baseball. Um, sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> whether you are or not, opening day is tomorrow. That's Thursday as we're recording this on Wednesday morning. Yes. I have five red storylines that I'm remotely interested in. Wow. I, I got to give you this, man. That is uh, kudos to you for coming up with five. <laughs> it might so, be a stretch on at least one or that's two. Okay. Of them, but that's we'll okay. get to that. I'm going to give you each one. You just tell me whether the storyline interests you at all. And then you give me your thoughts. That sound fair enough? Um, Sure. Yes. I like all right. it. All right. Let's get started. And I mean, I think this is the biggest, at least piece of news that was out this week coming into the year. Joey Votto is going to start the season on the injured list. I don't care as much about his injury, but I am curious your thoughts on, is this Joey Votto's last run? I mean, are we going to be doing the thing midway or later in the year where we start watching each at bat and talking about, is this it for Joey? I mean, do you think that's what we're looking at? I, I do. And it is a, a storyline that does interest me because I, I, I think that's where it's going to go. Um, I, I can't base it off his spring training going four for 21. Um, but I can base it off of last year and coming off of major surgery and, you know, not being quite ready to answer the bell and, and all of those. Things. I just don't know how this ends in a, in a great manner other than just to watch him kind of fade out. And um, I think that's what we're at. I hope I'm wrong. I hope, you know, somehow it's just a matter of he just needed a little extra time coming back from the surgery. He does need a rehab stint in Louisville to, to, to stay sharp. You know, it's again, it's hard to read anything off of spring training. And, and so I'm not going to crap on him for the four for 21. But I just think you add a lot of things together where he's at um, age wise. Um, uh, you know, the, the fact that he's coming off a down year. And I know you can attribute some of that. And I would say only say some of that to the injury. Um, you know, the spring thing you can attribute to. It's just spring and he's still coming back from the injury. I, I just I, I think we're going to watch this fade out and, and not an ugly fashion, but not the fashion I think he wants to go out or we want to watch him go out. I, it just it's hard to think about Joey Votto hitting like 220 this year and we're cheering on his final at bats with 2500 at Great American Ballpark as the team's sitting at 50 and 100. I mean, but that's yeah. a very real possibility. Yeah, no, right. Exactly. I mean, it's. You know, that whole trade possibility to Toronto, and I know he's talked about wanting to finish his career in one uniform, but, you know, if if he's even going along at a okay clip to where Toronto says, hey, boy, we could certainly use an occasional left-handed DH in our lineup, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I just, it just doesn't feel like it's going to end in the way you want it to end. No, and if things do go well this year, then my guess is he probably ends up coming back. Like he keeps he keeps trying to ride this thing out. I, I almost feel like well, I don't think no he's coming back this he, to end well. Yeah, I don't think you're going to pick up the option though for on that contract. I just don't see that. I, you're not going to waste that kind of money because it's even to me the the way it ends well for Joey Vito is he hits 255 and hits 13 home runs and you go boy that was at least you know not a 208 finish to his career. Yes, totally agree. I think that would be great if he has maybe a couple of big hits later in the year and 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 kind of has a hot end to the season maybe even though it's not great and. He calls it quits there. That would probably be perfect. Uh, the second storyline, Skinny, the red starting rotation. You got Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, Graham Ashcraft, Connor Overton, and Luis Sessa as the five guys that are going to make up the starting rotation. In that order, Hunter Green will be your opening day starter. It feels a bit to me like all these guys are probably bumped up a spot or two of where they should actually be in a major league rotation, but... If you're looking for something to watch and something to get excited about for the future, 
it feels like most of it is going to be centered around these guys this year. Yeah, and and that's the one little bit of optimism I think I would have is uh, I am looking forward to, especially the top three in the rotation, to take that next step forward. And I think you're probably right. They probably are all bumped up. I mean, in a perfect world, Luis Cessna is a bullpen guy. That's what you, you got him for in the trade. Now, to his credit, the handful of starts he got down the stretch, he was pretty good. Connor Overton got bombed in spring, but, you know, last year before he got hurt, he was actually pretty good or at least pretty serviceable. So, you know, you have you have a, two budding aces at the top of your rotation, a guy in Graham Ashcraft who I never think is going to be a, a, you know, one or two in a rotation, but certainly where he's slotted in the three or four range, I think he could certainly be that for a long time. Um, and then two serviceable guys on the back end. For, for a team that's not very good, um, that's a pretty good rotation, to be quite frank. It's definitely exciting. I mean, the, the two big names at the top with Green and Lodolo and then Ashcraft being that sort of, well, what are we going to get out of this guy? Because he kind of came from out of nowhere and surprised us a bit. I, I, it's it's a storyline worth watching on a team that doesn't have much to watch. And, you know, what? with Hunter Green, he's so exciting. And there was a lot of inconsistency last year to where this feels like a big year for him in a lot of ways. That, that can, can he put it together and become that consistent guy that belongs as maybe an ace on your staff or if not, maybe a number two type of pitcher. So I'm most interested in probably watching Hunter Green starts this year as opposed to anything else on this team. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at his, his, his game logs down the stretch last year, I mean, he, he, he went from being, you know, at times pretty bad. I mean, we remember that start in Milwaukee where he gave up, I think 215 home runs. It felt like, <laughs> to down the stretch of being dominant before, you know, things got shut down. So I, I I'm excited by that. It feels like he's kind of carried that over to spring where, um, you know, he, he, maybe he's ready to take that, that next step. And for a guy with his stuff, I mean, that next step can come by leaps and bounds and, and hopefully that's the case. All right. Number three here, Spencer steer. And I'll add in the possibility of seeing Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion strand it, to me, watching some of these young players, and I'm not overly excited about the prospects of Spencer Steer, but for right now, he's the only prospect that's really up with the major league team that, that you know, you're, you're looking at towards the future, I think. Um, that Those guys, some of those young names that we might see this year are obviously, I think, what most people are hoping to see coming into the season. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people looking at uh, at Louisville box scores this season to see the progress of of some of these guys and how they're doing down there. Our guy Jim Kelch is going to have the best broadcasting he, gig in the organization. He, he really might because um, he's got some dudes down there. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think Spencer Steer's a nice player. I think he could he's okay, but you know, it's it, it's just it's hard to feign enthusiasm for. Uh, for guys that you haven't seen yet. I mean, I'm excited to, to if, if they can get up here um, because they've earned it, but I think it's what also do you think the be- likelihood is of seeing those two guys um, before, before what date, I guess would be my question. That I mean, that makes it tough at, at all this year, period. I, I think you do. Yeah, I think you do. But I, I think that would come at the cost of, um, you know, Tyler Stevenson got hurt and that there went your first base option and you put Will Myers back in the outfield. And so, and Joey Votto is not hitting. So now here's Encarnacion strand by default and Ellie De La Cruz is going to have to come up and play shortstop um, because you want to keep Kevin Newman in a, in a utility role and Jose Barrero has sucked. I mean, I think, I think those well, are the things, but that, that seems very possible. I mean, it, it does, but, but at the same Jose time, Barrero probably I, does stink. I, I'm looking at the positive of seeing those young guys, in in the in the eye of a of a negative, which is guys that are here now sucking, and I well sure, but I think everyone's expecting that already, right? I mean, this team is going to suck. I maybe, mean, yeah, maybe. I think I think the hope is that like you just have some hope for the future, and some of these young guys actually look like they're going to pan out. Because I don't think anyone, even the most optimistic Reds guys, I, I've been listening to some of the shows this week as, as people are previewing the season, and some of the the guys who are really into this stuff, doing their podcast and all that. Even those guys are not trying to at all act like this team is going to be a good team. Yeah, I had a, I had somebody email me. I did a segment on the radio on WLW on Friday, and they were asking me about opening day coming. And I just, I, I really, I, I can't feign enthusiasm for something that's hard to be enthusiastic about. I, I just can't do it. And so I just went yuck. 
And I did say, I said, I'm looking forward to seeing the three young pitchers in the, at the top of the rotation. I am looking forward to that. I can say that. And a guy blasted me and said, said, are you not paying attention to this team? This team's got a chance. I'm like, dude, honestly, I, I, I appreciate your, your rose colored glasses. I, and he, he said, did you, what about the pitchers? And I said, did you not listen? I said, I do like the, the pitchers. I think that's going to be fine. But boy, this lineup has a chance. And I just said, this lineup is honestly is. Ugh. Well, we, well, let's go through that right now. Mark Sheldon put out his projected opening day starting lineup and he, he does a good job. I'm sure this will be pretty accurate. Jonathan India batting first uh, at second base. You got Jake Fraley batting second, the DA. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's do this for a second. So I, I let's go guy by guy for a second. I, I do I do think Jonathan India will have a bounce back year. I, that that that's something also I'm looking forward to seeing and hoping because that was I, my I, next storyline. I do think he's a cornerstone piece. I do, and that he went from rookie of the year to mostly injured last year. I don't yeah. think it's fair to say that he stunk last year. Yeah. I think it was mostly about him being injured. So. You, you come back to this year and it's like, okay, is this going to be a dude going forward? Is he going to be one of the guys we build around or was that a flash in the pan rookie season? So that's, well, I will say that's this, something I, to watch. I do wonder this, as much as he gets hit by pitches, did that affect him too? Good point. I mean, he kind of plays with that reckless abandon a little yep. bit. Yep. But no, I, 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 I hope for a bounce back year. I expect a bounce back year because I think he showed us enough his rookie year to go. That, that's a cornerstone piece somewhere. It may not be at second base, but it's somewhere. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up real quick because this one's a bit of a stretch. Yep. Okay. I also threw in Luke Maley at catcher. For you and I, I think that's going to be something enjoyable to watch. We covered the kid coming up playing at Covcath. I actually played against him when he was a freshman in high school and he hit a 750 foot home run off of Ryan Bussey at Mike and Field that still hasn't landed yet that ended our high school careers. Um, so I, I like it, it is going to be cool to see him in a red uniform playing regularly here. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I, I am happy for that. Our, uh, Gary Miller did a nice piece on him on local 12. I'm sure it's going to be in the, in the, uh, the opening day uh, preview show on, on Thursday, but it was a, a nice piece on Luke and talking about, you know, how excited he was as a kid to get tickets to, to go watch games at riverfront stadium. He even said, and I remember we always went in gate four. He goes, I remember all those little things. And so I think this is really important to him. Um, you know, my fear is he's he's not hit major league pitching very consistently in his career. And so does is it one of those ones where he's not hitting and they have to do something with him? I hope that's not the case. I hope he's serviceable enough to stick around because I think it is pretty cool. Definitely. All right. So back to the lineup. We, we said Jonathan India leading off playing second base. Then second, you've got Jake Fraley at the DH spot. Yeah. OK, so let's go with Jake Fraley on any even mediocre team. He is a fourth outfielder at best. And he's hitting second in this lineup. Let's Continue. do the test from last week. Would you know Jake Fraley if he came into Holy Grail? Yeah, Banks and yeah, in the yeah. Because he's got such a goofy. He's got all that hair. Yeah, okay. yeah. Batting third and playing right field, Will Myers. Yeah, I think everybody's expecting Will Myers to, to turn into Nick Castellanos, and I, I think Will Myers, Will Myers on a on a he's, he's probably on on a mediocre team, a a platoon player, and he's hitting third in this lineup. It's kind of like Tommy Pham last year. When you look up and go, Tommy Pham's you're hitting third in your lineup? Ugh. This is where everyone keeps losing me when it comes to this season, talking about this season. If you're trying to make me get excited about a guy like Will Myers and tell me that that's really going to be worth watching or something to get excited about, I can't do it. Like, the there's ball, just no the way. ballpark's going to help him. Come on. I mean, like, who cares? Who cares? Well, you would care that they, they that he does enough to flip him. Right. No, not really. Like, let's be honest. I mean, sure. Sure. Yes. That's what they want. But like, am I as a fan who's like wants to be entertained this summer and is maybe would maybe consider going to the ballpark a few times if the team was competitive and good. No, I do not care if Will Myers is good enough to flip midway through the year. I just don't like it's not enough to get me excited. Sorry. Uh, Batting cleanup and catching Tyler Stevenson. Yeah, I am excited to watch how this plays itself. I'm excited to see if he can get. 140 games under his belt and, you know, 650 odd plate appearances and just see what that really looks like. Yeah. Let me give you a little advice here, Stevenson. When the train's coming down the tracks this year, jump the hell off. Like, don't, don't stand in there and take that hit. This is, you're going to win 60 games. Don't, don't let your body take any more abuse this year. Agreed. Uh, Batting fifth and playing third base, Spencer Steer. Okay, I'm looking forward to. I'm, I am looking forward to seeing what he is in a full season, whatever that may be. But again, that Spencer Steer hitting fifth in a lineup, um, 
that, that's a that's a big jump from from where he should be. He should be a backup on a on a mediocre team, probably. Also, another classic ballpark's going to help him, guy. Yeah, okay. D- d- didn't have much pop coming it, it, up, so now I will say the ballpark's going to help him. I, I will say this: I crapped a little bit on Brandon Drury before last season, and by God, the ballpark did help him. Yep. So classic ballpark's going to help him, guy. Spencer Steer, uh, batting sixth and playing left field. T.J. Friedel. He should be a fifth outfielder on a mediocre team. <laughs> Correct. Batting seven. Oh, by the way, would you know Spencer Steer and TJ Friedel if they punched you in the face? Those two, I would not. I would not either. Uh, batting seventh, playing first base, king of the who? Wait, that that's got who? Who just punched me in the face? Jason Vossler. Yeah, I would not know him for for anything. No idea who he is. Absolutely none. Batting eighth and playing shortstop. Jose Barrero, who we would recognize if he punched us in the face. Yes, we would. And, you know, this is like put up or shut up time, right? I mean, you've, you've, you, I've seen enough already. I don't know. I mean, this is like Aristides Aquino almost to me. It, like, it, it's like he can't hit guys. Come on. That, that's pretty fair. Although he, you know, it was one of the storylines of, of spring training was he's kind of changed his swing and he did have a good spring. Now he does strike out still a lot. He struck out 18 times and 45 plate appearances. Um, in the spring, that's a fairly alarming amount, but he did hit over 300. He did show a little bit of pop, but here's my question for this is how, how much rope do you give him? Do you give him the first two months and just say, listen, it's your job for the first two months and we'll reassess. Do you not even say that? To, I mean, wh- where's the cutoff point for Jose Barrero? Exactly. Exactly. What, what, what point do you get to where you're like, well, this guy isn't cutting it. Well, who cares? You're, you're not in contention anyway. So, I mean, like, I guess it's, it, it becomes a question of, do you have one of the young guys that are ready to move into his spot. I guess Kevin Newman at some point might be the. Yeah, the no, I, honestly, honestly, if you were trying to win now, Kevin Newman would, would be your starting shortstop in all likelihood. Yeah. So, but, but again, that doesn't excite anyone either. So, no, so, I, but I'll, I'll ask you, I mean, so what is the cutoff point for him? Is it 100 at bats? Is it two months? Is it. For I, me, we're, I mean, I, I'm well, being serious I guess, when I, I say this. Well, for me, I'm already there. I know that yeah, I'm I cannot not, I, hit at this level. I, so I'm giving him, yeah, I mean, a month or two, probably. I'm, two months. I'm at least encouraged a little bit by by the spring with him. A little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd go two months. I'd, I'd give the guy to see if he can hit at all. Uh, and, then, I mean, if he does well enough, then sure, leave him in there. What do you got to lose until Ellie De La Cruz is ready, basically? Right, I mean, right, that would be my right. answer. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not moving him because I need to get Kevin Newman in there. Like, that doesn't change my mind much at all. No, but I mean, if he starts two for 38 with 20 yeah. strikeouts, I mean, yeah, then I would like that. to see him removed just for my yeah. mental okay. health. No, I, uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of the doubt just because of, again, supposed changes in his swing. Kind of the results showed that a little bit, although, again, the strikeout rate's still alarmingly high, for goodness sakes. I mean, that's a pace for over 200 strikeouts for a full-time player, and and that's that's just alarming. Sounds about right. Batting ninth and playing center field, Will Benson, Skinny. Yeah, I know everybody's on the Will Benson train of, you know, every time he's he's moved up, he doesn't hit his first year, and then the next year at the level he's at, he crushes it. Um, I think he was 10 for 55 with the guardians last year. And sure. Again, Will Benson on a good team probably is in the minors on a mediocre team. He's probably your fourth or fifth outfielder on this team. He's in the starting lineup. And I, yeah, I know he's batting ninth, but he's also in the starting lineup on opening day. So there you go. Would you know, would you know, Bill, uh, Will Benson, if he punched you in the face, uh, him, I would not know either. If he punched me in the face. No. All right. There you go. So that's Jake Fraley. You said, yes. Will Myers. You said, no. Spencer Steer, you said no, right? Uh, Spencer Steer was a no. TJ Friedel was a no. Yep. Vossler was a no. Benson's a no. So that's like four or five out of the nine. Yeah. That you wouldn't recognize if they punched you in the face. All right, Skinny, let's do it. DraftKings win total for this red season is set at 65 and a half. Do you like the over or the under on 65 and a half? I know this is, I, shoot me now, Reds fans. I'm sorry, but I, I would I would lean towards the under. I, because I don't, I think this team as it sits on opening day, isn't very good. And that's before anybody gets hurt. Yeah. And that's with you being optimistic about someone like Jose Pereira, Pereira potentially being worth something, which right. let's face it. He's not right. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I mean, I hate, hate to be that way, but like, I, I'm, I'm going under a hundred percent. I just don't know how they're going to score runs consistently. I just don't. They won 62 games last year. I don't think they're better than last year. Yeah, with with Brandon Drury doing some stuff for a bit, with um, um, you know, 
Tommy Pham is probably even better than what you have out there in the outfield right now. Definitely more frightening in multiple ways. I mean, Kyle Farmer was probably your most consistent hitter. He's not here anymore. Yes. And that's a team that won 62 games and lost 100. Now, I could also argue that, you know, that was taking the growing pains with the young starters, um, with some of the young starters, you know, Lodolo missing time due to injury, etc. You know, bringing Graham Ashcraft up after the season started. So some of those do factor in a little bit. But at the, at the same time, at the same time, um, I mean, are we going to get 180 innings out of the three main guys? Or do they shut them down at 150, 160? Do you, so where are we at with that before you get to the to the bullpen part of the program? Which I do think the back end has a chance to be good, but how often is the back end going to matter? Yeah. Do, do, how do you feel about the starting pitchers? Are we still in baby mode with them where you have to worry about their innings? Or is it time that they can just be treated as normal major league pitchers? I don't think you certainly you don't Billy Martin them and, you know, have them each pitch 23 complete games. But I do think it is... And I think you saw a little bit in spring. I think Green had at least a six-inning start. I know Ashcraft had a six-inning start where he only gave up one hit. Um, so I, I think that's a sign of, of you know, hopefully these guys can get a little deeper. I think Ashcraft will always be the guy that will probably eat more innings than the other two just because of pitch efficiency. But, yeah, that's a great question, Rick. And, and you know, maybe it's dependent upon, you know, are you even competitive enough to keep rolling or is it a point where, Hey, this is not going to be worthwhile to continue to roll these guys through September. You know, we may get to that point of September where you say, okay, every, these guys did well, we stink and we're not going to risk anything further. And September becomes a disaster. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's probably the right way to approach it. I'm fine with them getting to a I point and being yeah, like, Hey, too. no reason to tax these guys any more than we need to. At the same time, right. I think there does become a certain point in these guys' careers where, they're just normal pitchers now. I mean, you can't you can't just constantly say, oh, well, they're on an innings limit. We're going to shut them down early this year. I mean, it's, at some point, you are going to ask these guys, in theory, to be real starters that pitch you a full season and, and hopefully pitch competitive baseball at the end of the year. So, yeah, uh, and, my, and, my fear, and my fear a little bit for the first two is they've had some injury issues. Right. Exactly. All right, Skinny, anything else to get to on the Reds before we move on here? Um. No, it is. It is for me in my lifetime. And listen, I, I lived through the first hundred loss team in 82. This and this is just it's just it's my own personal take on this. And probably that doesn't jive with everybody. This is the least enthused I've been at all for for baseball to begin. I would agree with that. It's uh, it's hard to get up for this team, but hopefully the weather will be nice on Thursday for opening day. And uh, I, I plan on going down to smoke justice, listening to our friend Mo in the afternoon sometime and uh, consuming a few baseball pops. There you go. All right. And let's a talk. good time will be had by all. That's right. And uh, let's talk about some Bengals football here. The Bengals have reportedly agreed to a contract with veteran tight end Irv Smith. Smith was previously with the Vikings. He was limited to eight games last season due to a high ankle sprain. And in those eight games, he had 25 catches for 182 yards and two touchdowns. Skinny, do you think the team views Smith as a Hayden Hurst replacement, or do you think this eliminates them from drafting a tight end early? Where, What do you think is the situation here with the Irv Smith acquisition? I think both things can be true, and both things probably are true. Um, I think it gives you the flexibility in the draft that if, if Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer is there in round one, um, I think it gives you the flexibility to go ahead and pull the trigger on that and go, that's our long-term solution. But this also gives you the flexibility of, okay, boy, the cornerback we've got rated higher is there in round one. We're going to go that route, and and this is a deep draft. I, I did a mock and mocked a guy in the third round from North Dakota State to the Bengals. That You know, you get to that point of, okay, this can be the long-term guy as a third-rounder. Um, you know, he may not be the most dynamic guy, but as a third-round pick, it's, it's the right capital. So I, I think – I think they view it both. I think Irv Smith is, is again, kind of like Hayden Hurst, a good one-year kick-the-tires guy who's looking to prove it. He's on a prove-it contract like Hayden Hurst was. And if it so works out the same way it worked out for Hayden Hurst, then you need to have a solution moving forward at tight end because Irv Smith will price himself out of your market at that point. So I I think it's a really good uh, fit for for both. And Irv Smith made a point um, of of talking about why he chose the Bengals over some other teams, which is a chance to kind of like Hayden Hurst to win, play with Joe Burrow. <laughs> Joe Burrow can make you look pretty damn good. Hayden Hurst, uh, Joe Burrow made Hayden Hurst look pretty good, and Hayden Hurst got paid for it. So I think it's a 
it's a win-win. I think the only fear for Irv Smith is the injury history. Um, you know, not only the high ankle sprain last year, he missed all the year before due to a, uh, uh, torn meniscus in his knee, um, played 13 games a year before that. He played all of his games as a rookie, but, um, since that time over the last three years in, in, uh, in Minnesota, he only played 21 games and that, that, that's a little alarming, but Hey, he's a second round talent. When he started, it looked like he certainly produced at a, at a reasonable level. And I think that's all you're asking for is again, you're replacing 400 yards in Hayden Hurst. I, I think if Irv Smith stays healthy, Irv Smith's going to get you 400 yards, if not more than that from the tight end position. So I, I think it's a really good fit for both. But I do think the injury concern is a fairly legitimate one here, especially because they don't have anything behind him. So it does feel Wait a like minute. they've got Devin Asiasi and Tanner Hudson and Nick Bowers. Now, come on. Excuse me. That is, that is true. I, my, my apologies. But I mean, you don't want to be left putting one of those guys in there as your starter for four or five weeks. If something were to happen, I mean, yeah, again, I, injuries can happen I, to anyone, but yeah, and that's where I think you'll see a tight end in, 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 but before Saturday comes, I think they'll have a tight end drafted. Yeah. I think that's right. Not this Saturday. I'm at the Saturday of the draft. <laughs> yeah. The Saturday of the draft. Right. <laughs> And honestly, I know you're going to laugh at this and you're going to guffaw and everybody else's too, as I say it, you know, if you need a fallback plan for a second tight end at this point for that fear, or maybe even to make him a third tight end, you can always sign Drew Sample to a one-year deal as well. I thought you were going to say Jonah Williams for a second. I know he's looking for a change of scenery. You don't have to send him to a new team. Just slide him over one spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bengals also added some veteran depth to the cornerback position when they signed unrestricted free agent Sidney Jones the fourth to one-year contract for the 2023 season. Skinny, just a personal rule of mine, guys who have Roman numerals after their name, I like them. I like them. I think they're valuable. I, I know <laughs> I, have, I hate to do it. I know my guy, PJ Combs, who's the Bengals media relations guy, does not like those things. He finally got browbeat by us into calling Jesse Bates, Jesse Bates the third. <laughs> Don't ask me why. It's just a pet peeve. So anyway. Um, I, I, again, I think this is a good veteran signing. You're only looking to hit him to be probably, again, I think they're going to draft the corner high again, either day one, or certainly at one of the two spots on day two. And, and this gives you a guy who's a fifth corner and a fifth corner who started almost 30 games in this league. I'm good with that. Yeah. It seems like an insurance move. Yeah. That's all it is. That's, and that's all it was going to be. Eli Apple's still out there. I mean, in all seriousness though, I know. what do you think I'm the possibilities you. are of him coming back? Um, I think lesser now that they signed Sidney Jones, but not out of the question. Um, I, I think he still has probably put his market value way higher than the rest of the league has. And that's where I think the Bengals continue to let him kick the tires. And if, if um, he bounces back off of that, I think you do it. I think you pull another one year, one year deal with him. You can do trust. Me, I know everybody craps on him and that's fine. He's, he's easily to crap on, but. Dude has started a bunch of games on, on, on a Super Bowl team and an AFC championship team. So obviously he's not as a glaring a hole as everybody thinks he is. I, and he knows the system already. He's right. been around here. And, and the room likes him. I mean, he's that, done well. if he likes him, that's good enough for me. Yeah, I, I would gladly take him back. All right, Skinny. An online sports book has set win totals for all 32 NFL teams for the 2023 season. And the Bengals are tied for the highest. The website betonline.ag has set the Bengals total at 11 and a half wins for next year, which is tied with the Kansas City Chiefs for the highest total. As we sit here on March 29th, do you like the over or under on that 11 and a half number? And are you surprised that the Bengals are tied for the highest win total? I'm not. I mean, basically, you have the two teams um, from the best conference. If you want to go with conferences, the AFC is clearly the best conference. Now, you can argue that should knock some win totals down by playing each other more often. But it's the it's the it's the last two AFC championship team opponents. And I, I, that feels right that they both should be right about the same number. And uh, 11 and a half is high, but it feels like it's the right number to set. It, I'm, I'm sorry, it's high. Did your did your voice go with the uh, yes, word? My, there? Voice went, my voice went with that. That was incredible. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the 2022 opening line or opening win total for the Bengals was nine and a half wins. Obviously, I ended up finishing with 12. When I looked at that number and I saw 11 and a half, my initial thought was, God, that almost seems low. Mm. Uh, but then it surprised me to look and, and realize that over the last 15 years, the highest total for any NFL team was 12 and a half. 
And most years, the, the highest win total is 11 and a half coming well, in. Well, but, but also most of those, don't forget, we're back, we're also in a 17 game window again. So some of those years that you true, back, 16. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Games. So yeah, the, the one extra game. I mean, arguably, that makes a big difference. And you could argue the Bengals were going to be 13 win team last year based on the way things started in that Buffalo game. So, but it's still a high number. I think if you set that number at 12 or 12 and a half, you just get I so just much action on the under. I just, yeah. I, well, I just don't think you get much action, period. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, yeah, 11 and a half, though. I'm taking the over on that. Uh, oh, I am too. I think, I, yeah, I think I would lean in that direction. I think your only fear is any injury to Joe Burrow at any point just kills your bet. It just oh, yeah. kills it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the conversation of choice around Bengals Nation this week, Skinny, has been whether or not they should sign Ezekiel Elliott, the former Ohio State and Dallas Cowboys running back. Where'd you come down on that one? Well, I, I thought Zach Taylor's answer, he was at the St. Xavier Hall of Fame induction and, and a competitor, but a former colleague of mine at the Enquirer, Mike Dyer, um, asked him a question about that, and he kind of threw cold water on, on the whole Zeke Elliott. And I laugh because I always say this to, to, to people. When you see, you see tweets come out with sources said, those sources are always an agent, folks. It, it's 99% of the time it's an agent. Yes. Um, occasionally, it's somebody inside the building of the team, a GM or someone along those lines. But for, from what the, the tweet from last week from Adam Schefter was, Zeke is, has, has narrowed his list to the Jets, the Eagles, and the Bengals, sources say, quote, unquote, his agent. You never saw sources say from the Jets, Eagles, or Bengals that they're interested at all in Ezekiel Elliott. In fact, you saw the exact opposite. Correct. All of them kind of said, no, we're, we're good. So I, that's more or less an agent drumming up support. Now, that being said, I do think where there's a little smoke, there's a little fire. I think I think there's there's probably some level of interest, um, especially if the price is right. But I just I don't see it ha- happening. I mean, he said he wants to get it done by the end of this week. So we'll know in the next couple of days what level of truth there is to any of this and where he thinks he's going to go. I saw a story yesterday that, Dallas is considering bringing him back. And I think it all has to do with price tag. And so, so here's the agent going, Hey, Cowboys, uh, these three teams right here, this is where he wants to go. And so you think you're trying to drum up the, 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 the price tag for him a little bit. And, and you're really not, you kind of got your client embarrassed when the head coach of one of the teams he's supposedly interested in basically goes, no, nah, we're good. Yeah. Well, now that being said, those teams are kind of in a similar situation, right? Like they're not necessarily going to come out and say, Oh Yeah. We're interested. We're trying to negotiate a better deal. Get them no, a little that's cheaper right. right now. They're going to say, right. but, no, but, but, we're good. We're happy with what we've got. And, and then try to negotiate from a position of strength, too. But yes, that's fair. Yeah. All right. Anything else on uh, the NFL, the Bengals? Yeah, I did want to talk about um, a, a couple of things from, from well, one of the one of the proposed rule changes. And it's really not a rule change, but it's one that that I talked about with some friends and then I saw it brought up this morning on ESPN and, and they talked about it. I thought it was kind of important. This whole notion of having a flex option for Thursday night games is the most asinine thing I've ever heard on so many fronts. I, I Well, explain, explain that. What's so, so yeah. So they've, they've talked about it and actually it got, it got tabled, although they said they could rediscuss it again in May. There's an, there's the possible, they did actually open up the idea of teams playing two Thursday night games this year. But one of the portions to it was they were actually going to maybe start flexing those Thursday night games. They have better options. So 15 days out, your Sunday game, Bengals v. Bills, for example, um, could be flexed to to that Thursday night instead, which is wholly unfair to players to have to be flexed on such short notice. And then what about fans who have made plans for trips? And I thought the owner of the, uh, of, the of the New York Giants – made a good point of at what point do we start thinking about our customers and all of this? Yeah. And I wish he would have said, he may have even said something about players, but I saw the customers part of it, but, but the players as well. I mean, you know, we keep hearing about player safety, player safety, player safety. So all of a sudden 15 days out, get flex knowing we're going to have to play from Sunday to a Thursday. Now I did see a thing. If you're going to play two Thursday games, the idea of you play a Thursday and then you would play the following Thursday. And then, and the first Thursday would be coming out of a buy perhaps. Okay. I'm good with that. If you want to do that, too set in stone, but the whole idea of flexing a game to a Thursday is just asinine. It seems pretty crazy. And the fan part of it, you just got to think a little bit more about that. I, I, I would care. assume they don't care. They will, they will figure, you know what? 
too bad about your damn plans. That's on you. That's your problem. That's not my problem. Yeah, someone else will buy the tickets. And yes, if not, right. we've got a ton of money coming in on commercials. Well, right. And, and part of this is, is to drum up some of the, the, the Thursday night package was crappy. I barely watch it because I don't want to stream something because I want to watch something else at the same time, usually. So I usually just chose to listen to a little bit on the radio or watch, watch the score on my phone. And if it got close, I may go click it on late. And the matchups weren't very compelling. And so I'm going to guess that Amazon kicked and fussed and said, you got to do better for us or we're not paying this kind of money going forward. Yeah. I mean, the matchups were terrible last year. Yeah. They couldn't have found any worse games for Thursday, Thursday night football in general is terrible because the players are exhausted. It's the dumbest damn thing ever to come off of a Sunday to play on a Thursday. It's just dumb. Yeah. Just make it another college night. Just to, just do college games throughout the week and we'll do NFL games on, on Sundays. Exactly. That's all we need. And Monday night. So that end of rant, but I just wanted to rant on that because I just think it's silly. I'm with you on that one. That That's pretty stupid. All right, let's get into college basketball. Xavier lost in the Sweet 16 to Texas last weekend, 83-71 the final there. The game was really never in question. It wasn't very close. Uh, Since then, Deontay Miles, Kiki Tandy, Cesar Edwards, and Elijah Tucker have entered the transfer transfer portal. That's as of Wednesday morning. There could be more as we're recording this or after we get done recording this. They're going to need to replace a whole lot. Yes, coming they, into next year. I mean, they need a point guard. They need a wing. They need multiple big men. So uh, most of the starters are likely going to be need to be replaced from that team. Skinny, as we head into the offseason, what do you see ahead for the savior program? Well, I think it, it obviously knowing what Sean Miller has done as a coach and his proven track record as a winner. Um, guys seem to like to play for him. I, he may be a pain in the ass in practice for all, but they seem to like to play for him. He plays a fun style. Um, so I think it's an attractive fit for guys in the portal, but he's got to hit the portal pretty damn hard for sure. I mean, I, I would assume Colby Jones declares. I'm just assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming Jack Nungy doesn't come back. And again, I'm just assuming. I think Zach Freeman has another year, right? But I'm assuming he doesn't come back. Is that yeah. right? Well, I, I, I'll tell you, the first two I would agree with so far, although Nungy, I mean, I guess you never know with NIL nowadays. Maybe yeah, right. No, they'll I be able to offer him enough to make it worth his while, even at 24 plus years old to, and a married guy to, to play one more year before he, he gets started with his real life. The one thing with Zach Fremantle, and I've it's been going back and forth in terms of the information. You know, one day people think he's coming back. The next day it's like, ah, oh, he's, he's transferring somewhere else and going to play. I heard some pretty strong information yesterday that I believe that, that suggests he might be coming back, or at least that's what he's told the coaches so far. And you got to think about he's recovering from surgery here from a stress fracture injury in his foot. He's got some time left on that. You would think he at least needs that health insurance situation to, to keep going and, and get a lot of that rehab work done while he's at Xavier. I'm not, I assume that like when he transfers the new health insurance at another school would probably kick in sometime during the summer semester or whatever. So if he does leave, I think it would be a late transfer potentially, but I think right now it actually sounds like, he might be coming back next season. And, and I mean, in terms of him leaving to go professional, the timing, I think, is just going to be really tough on him because he has to rehab this injury. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if you got Zach Freeman and Jack Nungy to come back, that's a pretty good building block. Oh, that'd be crazy. Yeah, if they got both of them back, that'd be really good. Uh, right now, I think if you're a Xavier fan, you're just hoping you can get one of those guys back. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. But I think it, it, that's, that's today. I mean, no offense to the other four guys. I, I still like Cesar Edwards upside, but that's just me personally watching him. I, I know that they don't have big belief in him and they almost had to play him by default um, this, this year because of the injury situation. But I mean, you're not losing much with those four guys. You're just not. No, I, I mean, all, well, all I of those John, guys were known before yeah. the season ended that they would be leaving. I'd yeah, say. I, I'm still stunned. Deontay miles opted to come back for one more year. Yeah. Last year. But I mean, the great thing about Deontay miles is he has played four years of division one basketball, or at least practiced in a big East yeah. system oh, yeah. for four years. And now he still has two years of eligibility left because he redshirted his first year and he has the COVID year. I mean, like, honestly, I think at, a, at the right mid major, he dominates. I, I agree. I, I've told multiple coaches that have called me and asked me about him. Like, look, I think he will lead your league and block shots. I did. I told you that when he got recruited, I mean, I coached against him in AAU and he was an elite shot blocker who actually, when I finally got a chance to watch him his senior year, of high school started to develop a little bit of an offensive game. He's never going to be a great offensive player, but at the right level, um, he's a double, double machine with four and a half blocks per game. I, I don't doubt at all. I, I wouldn't surprise me at all. If we see him 
scoring 10 or 12 points a game and averaging four or five block shots at a, at a mid-major next year yeah. somewhere. No, I, I th- the rebounding it, thing. I'm not sure exactly how it'll play out. Well, he's the, just so long. He's just so he's going to get, he's going to get a bunch by default at that yeah. level. But I mean, he also chases a lot of block shots. So he's out of position sometimes for rebound yeah. stuff like yeah. that. So, I mean, his rebounding totals are tough to predict, I think at, at wherever he ends up, but the, the scoring, and, I mean, just from like pick and roll lobs at the rim, you're going to yes. get two or three, a tip in or two. You're going to get another couple baskets. So you're at, you know, eight to 10 points, I think, without him really need to like catch the ball in the post and with his back to the basket and score. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I just think, again, I'm, I was surprised he stuck it out for one more year. Um, but yeah, the fact he's got two years, that, that's that's a pretty good run in today's college basketball, wherever you go to play for two years, two years solid. And, and who knows, maybe being part of a mid-major team that makes a run to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I know NKU had a meeting with him last night. Uh, I've always Tuesday thought it was night. a perfect fit. I think, yeah, he would just dominate that league, in my opinion. And they just lost their seven-foot project yeah. shot blocker in Emmanuel Zorgval at the transfer portal. We'll talk about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see him there. But wherever he ends up, I'm going to be following his career at the mid-major level because I think he's got a lot of basketball left. To, Me too. A lot of value left. Um, yeah, I mean, I, as far as Xavier's concerned going forward, look, Sean Miller, I think the one thing a lot of people are talking about, yeah, Xavier's got their guy. Yeah, it looks like he might be there for a while and and isn't too anxious to leave. The one thing I don't think that's getting talked about enough, and you kind of mentioned this when you said he has a fun style to play. I think Sean Miller has gotten better since we last saw him at Arizona. The fact that he sat out that year and he's talked a lot about this, that he really wanted to change how he did some things offensively and trade in a little bit of his grind it out and, and be great defensively mindset to improve offensively and play a little faster and play a little more free flowing. And by God, did they do that this year? And they did it with a group of guys that weren't as talented as he would have liked to have had. I'm very interested to see what he does going forward with a roster. That's more to his liking and his, his picking and choosing. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I think he maxed out their level. We talked about the whole time. Second weekend. I think he maxed it out. One more win was even gravy on top of it. And I know we can look and go, yeah, but boy, look at the magical run at Florida Atlantic and say, okay, they yeah. did, but neither here nor there. I mean, you maxed out, in my opinion, and and that I think that says something. Definitely, you know, Florida Atlantic, their run right now has got to be driving assistant coaches across the country crazy because every head coach is going, well, how do we do what they just did? <laughs> it's like, well, how do we get to the Final Four, coach? That's the new standard. Okay, yeah, exactly, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Cincinnati, the Bearcats. Basically, big news this week, Landers Nolly has declared for the draft. I don't think that's too surprising for anyone. Um, are you surprised that the Bearcats haven't had anybody else enter the portal yet? I am a little bit. And, and for Landers Nolly, just for, for uh, argument's sake, I guess, um, he, he did get invited to the Portsmouth Invitational. That's a nice at least first step. Uh, you know, then does he get invited to the Combine as it would be the next step. But, you know, if you look at a lot of draft ratings, he's not on the board. I mean, is he going to get the feedback that he needs to say, all right, I'll come back to Cincinnati? Or does he just say to hell with it, I'm just going to turn pro? I think this is where, unfortunately, I know UC has started that, was it the Cats Rain program for the NIL collective? Yeah, I think that's right. This is where you see at the moment, NIL-wise, is really behind the eight ball with, with guys like this that kind of are on the fence. He's not going to be an NBA guy in all likelihood at least not coming out this year. I don't know what coming back does for him other than if he had NIL money to make money there and, and, and delay the fact of going overseas to play. So I think he's kind of caught in that, that goofy mid-level of I'm not sure what decision is right for him or even right for UC, to be honest with you. But And he is the exact type of guy where I think NIL will really help some schools and not just Cincinnati. I mean, Kentucky's kind of in a similar right. space with Oscar Shibway. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can come back for but one Oscar Shibway's probably- got about a million NIL money. I'm going to guarantee Landers Nolly probably doesn't have 15 grand in NIL money. Yeah. Or if that it's something around there, probably right. Like he's making 20 ish. Yeah, probably but, but, in a good scenario. My, yeah, my point is it's, it's not, not enough to convince you to come back. Right. Exactly. And so, that's where it's going to be interesting to see if these these schools locally, regionally, the, the schools that aren't Kentucky that can afford to pay a million. And again, it's not coming from the schools. It's coming from their donors and local businesses yeah, and things yeah. like that. Uh, but you do have to find a way to get some of these guys who, like you said, don't necessarily have the future pro prospects, but would maybe consider sticking around for a fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth year with some of these COVID guys to play one more season. I think sounds like that's what Oscar Shibway may, may very well do. Um, And Landers Nolly could be in that same type of spot. I will say most guys that play in the Portsmouth Invitational 
do not come back. In fact, I believe uh, Courtney Ramey, who did that last year, had to sit out games because the Portsmouth Invitational is not a NCAA sanctioned event. So he technically like it, it hurt his eligibility. He was he had to sit out for the first couple of games of the season because of it. So um, I'm not sure what the, the Portsmouth Invitational suggests about Landers Nolly's chances of coming back. But he did say in his Instagram post that, you know, he's leaving that option open of, of potentially returning. Right. Right. So, all right. NKU, Alon Sumler, Emmanuel Zorgval, Isaiah Mason, and Hubie Pavorius all jumped into the portal in terms of scholarship guys. They also lost uh, a pair of walk-ons in, in Jake Evans and Noah Hoopman. Skinny, I think a lot of people see all these names jump into the portal. You see four guys plus a couple of walk-ons. There's six names in the portal. People start to freak out. But I think in this day and age, this doesn't come as too much of a surprise, especially with, you know, four guys who really just didn't find their way into the rotation at all. No, I, I, I will say, and I do like the concept of what they're talking about fixing the transfer portal. If you get one freebie and that's it, because I, I think it's now gotten so crazy, but yeah, I mean, for guys looking for playing time, you do you, man, if you need to find somewhere else to go to go find playing time, that's, that's good. And maybe, you know, maybe moving forward, forward with just the, the, the one free transfer, you better make the right choice coming out of high school um, and then give yourself one fallback plan. But yeah, the days but, of guys playing three and four different places, I think that, that's going to come to an end here at some point. Well, the three and the four different places, I think a lot of those kind of came in with the COVID. They did. Yeah. It gave them an extra year of flexibility where it didn't really matter. And it coincided with the transfer rule. I think what you'll see and, and why the one-time transfer rule won't actually matter that much is most guys will you know, probably go to a school for a year or two. Then you'll transfer. You'll be there for a year or two. And now you're in a situation where you've been in college for three or four years. You graduate and now you're a graduate transfer and you can transfer that second time free no matter what. Yeah, that's true. So I don't think it's actually going to matter for a lot of those guys in terms of uh, only being able to transfer one time. You're still going to see a lot of guys get to three different schools throughout the course of their career. Um, but with NKU specifically, I think the only two guys that would have potentially stayed are Alon Sumler and Emmanuel Sorgfall. Uh Sumler, I, I think just, you know, he's looking for a bigger role. And I, I think even if he came back, he's he's potentially a backup next year. Zorval is the one that's a little bit surprising because NKU brought him in as a project a couple of years ago. They redshirted him for a year. They've been trying to put on weight. He he started to find his way into the mix a little bit this year. But towards the end of the year, he kind of faded back out as the, the stakes got higher again. A lot of people, I think, expected him to be their de facto starting center or at least play a lot of minutes behind whatever transfer they're going to bring in for that spot this year. Yeah, and, Well, yeah, and now it's like they need not just one, but probably two new big men to from the transfer portal to insert there. Yeah, but I mean, I'm telling you, I went and looked yesterday just to, to, to try to catch up. My Lord, the names in the transfer, it's just insane. Yeah, it is, but I mean, like, why do people care so much about that? The the number everyone keeps putting. Oh, it's over a thousand kids. Like it's, okay. but it's insane. It's just I don't know. It's just crazy to me. It's a lot. I get it more when people are complaining about like their favorite teams, but when people just randomly cite off, it's over a thousand kids. What a catastrophe! It's like, is it really like how many used to transfer? I, I honestly don't know what the number was before because we never cared about it that much. And like quite honestly, a lot of these kids aren't playing. They're leaving Division One basketball. They're going to Division Two or just quitting altogether. Like a lot of these kids enter the portal and never end up going anywhere. And in, in terms of like to another Division One school, I just like well, yes, and, that, and, that, and that's the thing for some of these guys. I mean, some of them get run off, and I understand that from a coach's perspective. But but for some of these guys making that decision, you're also rolling the dice that somebody wants you. Yeah, and for I mean, at look, the level that you think you should be playing at. Kids in their early 20s haven't known to be rational when making life decisions. Like a lot of them probably are making bad choices, and that's something they'll have to live with. But it's no different from any other kid in their early 20s trying to get through life. So, I mean, I just it just doesn't bother me as much. Yes, it's bad for the sport overall. I think the fact that a lot of these schools, as they're getting into the postseason, are like, oh, oh crap, like. If this guy plays well, we might lose him. If we play this team, their coaches are going to be recruiting so-and-so in the handshake line afterwards. Like All of that stuff is probably not good for the sport, and it's probably not good for fans that they, they don't see the same names back from year to year as much, all of that stuff. They're, like I do think I, they're going to lose think, some fan I, interest. I do think that's going to happen, and I think it's already happening. I agree with that. I think it's bad for the sport because of that stuff, but the people just being like, there's 1,200 names in the transfer portal. It's like, okay. so It's like, it's like people talking about the – the uh, viewership for the final four this year. 
Okay, who cares? What does it matter to you or me if the, the viewership is going to be down for this year's Final Four? Who cares? I don't know if that's going to be a fact or not. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up with the uh, college basketball teams locally with Kentucky. Severe Wheeler has entered the transfer portal. So far, that's the only real offseason roster nugget that we've seen come out of the, the Wildcats camp. Do you think we'll see a lot more here? I don't know. I, 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 that's a great question. You know, CJ Frederick's got some eligibility left. Does he decide to not play any longer? Or does he come back? Uh, Shibway is a great example. Does he look and go, I can make a mill again playing in college in a program I'm comfortable with at the same time. And this is going to sound really silly. Does, does Cal want him back? I mean, yeah. based on what he maybe wants to do offensively or should do offensively. I, I, it's a great question, but Wheeler was a no-brainer. That one was a given, right? Yeah, for both parties. For both parties, no question. I think we'll eventually see Casey Wallace declare for the draft, right? Yes, definitely. Well, and uh, you know, other than that, nothing would surprise me either way for, for the for the remaining guys. My guess, the vibe I get is that Chibwe is going to come back to Kentucky. I just don't see he's not an NBA guy at all, unless he just no, wants agreed. to go over overseas and start playing professionally. But it seems like he loves being at Kentucky and loves the the million dollars he's going to make in NIL money. Agreed. It's a comfort zone. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some ask skinny anything. Skinny, we'll start with the final four. Uh, do you think the final four with Florida Atlantic, San Diego State and Miami UConn is good or bad for college basketball? Yeah, I don't think it's bad. I I, I think it's fun to see some of these these teams. I, I, I know that, listen, you, you always want a blue blood in there because obviously the blue blood fan base is huge. And then there's the anti group against the blue blood fan base that wants to root against. So there's always the, the hero villain thing to that that aspect of it. But I mean, honestly, it, it, it it's never bothered me to watch an 11 seed make it or a nine seed or a, who the hell's why is how did Loyola get here? How did Butler get here? I think that's the fun part of the term is, is is seeing those teams advance. And I gotta be honest with you, if you took the name off of Florida Atlantic and popped another blue blood on there, you go, damn, they got some dudes. They can play. They're really good. I I you know, NKU went there and played at Florida Atlantic this year, and it was a fairly close game coming down the stretch. NKU had it within six with a handful of minutes to go and they got like three or four stops in a row. And every time coming down on offense with, you know, a two possession game, you have a chance to really cut it and, and put them on the ropes. And you just couldn't get a shot to go down. And um, so they, they end up losing that game by whatever it was, 13, 15, something like that. Uh, but at that time, you know, coming back, our flight got delayed. And I was talking to the coaches a lot. We talked to like that team was really good, but no one obviously thought right, that's right. a team that could make it to the final four. Uh, just crazy to look back at that and think, I mean, this is a team skinny. They've played division one basketball for 30 years. They've had nine winning seasons I know, it's in crazy. program history. It's incredible. It's only the second time they've made the tournament. And people saying like, well, this isn't a Cinderella story. I get that from the standpoint of this team is actually a really good team. They're not like getting lucky here, but they are every bit a Cinderella story as oh, much as we've ever dude. had in terms of fan support and previous history and any of that. I thought one of the great stories after the weekend was that Dusty May cried when he when when he when he signed his when he decided I was going to take the job. Then he went and did. He like he said I cried because I, I I thought I made a mistake. Yeah, I mean you get there. It's not you no know, impressive. <laughs> That's sure. for sure. And now, there's no say, one inside the place. I like there was no one there for that NKU game earlier this year. If you're in Boca Raton, are you going inside for anything? No, that's a good point. I mean, even when I did my hit with Mo Egger that week, I was I walking that. around the Boca Raton outdoor I, mall. I do remember that actually. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I will say that the the interesting part is the UConn of late December, early January is the UConn we're seeing today, where we all thought, and you and I talked about this. We, in fact, I've got a future book bet on them at eighteen to one to win the whole thing. I, they just have. They just back then it looked like they had dudes. I don't know what happened to them for that stretch where things kind of fell apart, um, but. They they were really real. They were number two in the country for a bit this season. And I know that happens to some teams. I mean, Carolina was number one to start the year and didn't even make the tournament. But they're legit good. They looked every bit the part of being the best team in the country when they were number two earlier in the year. And we said that at the time. And then for two or three weeks there during the Big E season, they, it started with that loss to Xavier. Xavier yep. popped them. And then for like two or three weeks, they were just out of sorts and not themselves. And there's no way you won't convince me that there was something going on in that locker room. 
Yeah, there had to be something. There had, there, to, be, there had to be. They were a completely different team. And now all of a sudden, they're back to be in that same group that they were. And they're clearly the favorite, and they should be. But the other part, you know, like UConn's obviously had a lot of tournament success. They've won their championships in recent years. So they've been here. But, like, having three other teams that are not used to this right. and are new names, and really even UConn, I mean, it's – it's not a blue blood in terms of the traditional set. They've, they've had a lot of recent success and maybe, you know, people are going to start having that conversation about is UConn a blue blood or not? I don't really care to have that, but it's not Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, one of the same old schools. And right now Villanova has kind of been in that same old, like this is a fun final four to me. And the more people, fans, programs think that they have a chance to make a run like this yes. and, and be competing for an actual championship, the better it is for the sport. No, I I agree. I, I'll be honest with you. If you played this tournament 50 different times, and I mean this sincerely, if you played this 50 different times, I truly think you'd have um, 50 different Final Four combinations. Yes. I agree with that 100%. It was so wide open, and people say that all the time, but never has it actually been more accurate than this year. No, absolutely. I mean, other than what UConn has done, where you look and you go, All right, they were really good at one point this year, and they're really good again. Um, you know, the ACC got crapped on this year, right? Oh, the ACC sucks, and yet here's the ACC putting another team in the Final Four, and there's no way some team from the Mountain West can do anything. But you watch San Diego State guard. Right? They're, they're a little challenged at times on the other end of the floor, but, man, they play defense with their chest better than anybody I've ever seen. They Ryan Dutcher can coach, man. They just chest you up, and they challenge you to try to go by, and you can't. Creighton's really good offensively, and they just stuck it up their rear end. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is recruited to that system really yes. well. Yes. Because offensively, you're right. I, I wouldn't necessarily have dudes on the offensive end, but when you see them playing their defense, it's like, wait, how are you supposed to score on these guys? Right. They're big, no, I, they're tough, they're athletic. Uh, you know, I kept th- th- throw the well. Part of it was I had Kalkbrenner in a, in a player pool, and he helped me by the way because he helped me to win it. But I kept you know just throw it into him, and they couldn't get it into him, and then they couldn't get open looks, they couldn't drive by, and that's a really good Creighton offense. You know, the other thing that I think has helped San Diego State is the Mountain West Conference isn't the best in terms of like highest level of play, probably best coaching, uh, like mo- most organized basketball, but. They have athletes in that conference in terms of hot, like high major basketball. The the Mountain West is every bit as athletic as most of the top yeah. conferences. And I think that's helped San Diego State in the tournament to where like their, their system is their system. And they're not overwhelmed by bigger, stronger, faster. They've got plenty yeah. of that in the Mountain West Conference. So uh, they, they've they've been pretty much unfazed by any of the teams they've seen so far. All right, let's uh, let's move on here. We've got a start bench cut questions okay love it march madness mlb playoffs super bowl um i'm gonna start march madness i'm gonna bring the super bowl off the bench because it's just a one day thing and i'm just gonna cut the mlb playoffs because i just it's terrible i'm the guy who grew up with baseball in his blood and and Dude, I still play a couple of simulation games in my spare time of, of old baseball teams. I'm playing the 1978 Yankees in a simulation at the moment. I love baseball. I just don't like baseball today. I mean, that's the easiest question in the world for me. In general, it would have that would have always been my answer ever since I was born. But um, yeah, it took me all of 60 or 0.6 seconds for me to answer March Madness, Super Bowl. MLB I do playoffs. love those questions. I do love those questions. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, did Skinny ever subscribe to any magazines? Oh, yeah. Sports Illustrated, for sure. Inside sports, sporting news. I had them all growing up. Do you subscribe to any now? I do not. That's a that's a funny question. I do not. I I bought on my trip to Kansas City uh, for the AFC championship game for the flight. I actually bought a Sports Illustrated for the first time in probably two or three years. Do people still have magazine subscriptions? That's a good well, like personal ones to their house. Uh, that's a good question. We, or is it all just digital stuff now? Yeah, we used to have people. We don't even get people at the house anymore, I don't think. At least I don't see it. Yeah, I, I just realized that. It's like I haven't seen – I mean, I've seen them in airports and in stores, but I, I can't recall the last time I saw someone with, like, a stack of magazines. And, and I'm not going to lie. I was fortunate my father had a subscription to Playboy, and I always found a way to find it. Nice. So, yeah. I'm sure that's what someone was getting at here with this yes. question. Yes. Uh, all right. Finally, I sent you a picture from a friend of ours, Dan, a few weeks ago with a, a pack of M&Ms sitting – 
in an airport bathroom next to the toilet, like on the the uh, toilet paper dispenser. Yeah, Did yeah, you happen to see that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So our guy Dan had a few questions about this. So for the viewers, if you didn't understand that, the, he he was at an airport, goes into the bathroom, and sitting there on the toilet paper dispenser is peanut M and M's, a pack of opened peanut M's that someone had left. So his questions were: Skinny, would you eat M and M's in a public toilet? Would you eat while using the bathroom? Period. And if so, what is the best food to eat while on the can? No, I, I that's that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I, I can't do that. I, I can occasionally sip a cup of coffee, maybe if it's the morning, you know, the morning constitutional. But but yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not eating while while going number two. And I'm uh, I'm certainly not eating some random pack of M&M from somebody who left them in in the bathroom. No, not a chance. Well, I, I the, the visual of the guy who was like. I mean, what in between wipes? Just sh- sh- he's probably doing the shimmy. He doesn't want to put his hand on it, so he's like pushing them through the package. And then it almost feels like somebody was setting you up for that, right? Like, oh, let me see if somebody really is going to eat these things. Ah, uh, man, I'd like to think so, but I doubt it. I think someone was just sitting just there, just randomly left them peanut M and M's while they were on the can. Well, I, I will say I've I've had a moment of of of, uh, of panic where I've I've actually done this in an airport where I had my phone and sitting in that same spot. And washed my hands, started to walk out. And before a guy could get back into the stalls, he went in. I go, hang on a second. Got to grab my phone. Yeah. I've I've had that moment. I've left my phone a few places, too, in situations like that. I don't know if I've ever done it on the the toilet paper dispenser. But I've I've set my phone down in bathrooms or wherever before and left it. Like, this this is one that disgusts me to no end. I actually, (laughs) I'll tell you what really grosses me out, too, is when you're out, you know, bar or, uh, like, a sporting event and someone brings their beer into the john and they set it like right on top of the urinal i think that's just i think that's disgusting i've done that i can't it's just i maybe like this is me being a little bit of a germaphobe shout out to Corey miller my uh high school health teacher who was i I like Corey. he actually teed me up a few years ago but i like Corey. dude's an absolute germaphobe we used to make fun of him so much for it well my former radio partner tom gamble is a complete germaphobe like he won't even touch doorknobs yeah, so he does like the foot thing. That's yeah. that's how. Yeah, that's exactly or the elbow, how. Court, or the elbow. He would explain to us how he would like open after he'd wash his yeah. hands at a public restroom. How he'd like open it with arms and elbows and legs and stuff. Yeah, but- and uh, Tony counts. My boss over at uh, NKU, another germaphobe, will only fist bump, never shakes hands. Okay, okay, yeah. But I'm not. I'm not to that extent. But I'm also. I'm not taking anything that I'm going to be drinking into a bathroom. It just bothers me to think about it. The air that's floating around in there, getting inside the top of whatever I'm drinking. I don't know how the science works, but I'm pretty sure my mind can't handle it. <laughs> I've done it. So there's that. All right. That's all we've got, Skinny. Right. The, the M&M's on the genre. The last question. That, that, that's, a, that's a great way to uh, to flush this podcast down, as a matter of fact. That's right. Appreciate the questions as always. Enjoy opening day for those that are going. Uh, we will be back uh, one week from today. We will probably be discussing a fast red start. I feel five and one out of the gate. How about you, Rick? I'm not so optimistic. I'm going to say one and six. If it's one and six, I don't even know where I'm going to go with the podcast next week. Oh, it'll we'll be good. We'll go somewhere where we'll have crowned a national champion by then as well. And I will discuss one of my bucket list items I'm going to next weekend as well. So we'll talk about that much, oh. much more. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage.